Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to WeRSC's Inside the Trojans Huddle, week number 15. Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion with WeRSC columnists and staff writers. We start off first with the pregame show, as we normally do, uh, where we introduce our panel members of this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. And we're also going to give you a little of the latest football news up to the date of this taping. So let's first meet our panelists, Scott Schrader, we are SC Senior Recruiting Director who has 19 years of experience covering the USC Trojans as both a reporter and recruiting authority. Eric McKinney, publisher and editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com. My name is Greg Katz. I am a columnist for WeRSC, and I write the obvious and the not-so-obvious in IMHO Sunday. I'll be your host and moderator. First, before we get to the panel, let's go over a couple of the, the major topics that are out there. Multimedia outlets are reporting the Texas A&M offensive line coach, Josh Henson, is set to be Lincoln Riley's new offensive line coach and co-offensive coordinator. Henson, who spent the past three seasons at Texas A&M, had previous O-line stops at Oklahoma State and Missouri. And Lincoln Riley is still looking for a running backs coach after Tashar Choice, who spent the previous weekend recruiting for the Trojans as part of the Trojans staff, abruptly departed is now officially the running backs coach at the University of Texas. Along the player personnel front, defensive back Chris Steele and nickelback Greg Johnson will be entering the NFL draft while running back Keenan Criston has entered the NCAA transfer portal. And in an unusual uh, transaction with the departure of place kicker Parker Lewis to the transfer portal, backup Alex Stedhouse has pulled his name out of the NCAA portal and is returning to the Trojans for the 2022 season. So there you have it, up to date. Let's get started. First quarter. First to all of our viewers, before we begin, we want to say from uh, wersc.com, a very Merry Christmas to you all and Happy Holidays, and we appreciate you uh, viewing us or listening to us at this time. So panel, let's begin with what are your overall thoughts regarding the Trojans' outcome of the early signing period? Are you surprised? Are you disappointed? Or about, is this about what you thought it would be? We'll go with our recruiting guru on wersc.com. Uh, Scott Schrader, your overall assessment, Scotty. You know, my overall assessment is probably much higher. I think all of our assessment probably is going to be much higher than, than a portion of the fan base anyway, is, is about the early signing period. And of course, you know, really the early signing period isn't, technically over yet because there will be a couple of guys announcing um at the, the all-america bowl you know, on january 8th guys that did sign last week but are waiting to announce at the uh during you know during play of the all-america bowl in san antonio um but you know if and eric eric has put it out there on on our message board and, and we've talked about this and, and you know, if you would have told us that usc was going to get damani jackson and, and Zion Branch, just those two, to sign last week, you know, in my opinion, two five-stars. Damani's a five-star cornerback. I, I strongly believe that Zion Branch is a five-star safety. Um, I, I think that, that, you know, people, like, we would have thought, that, you know, that, that's solid just in itself. Um, but, you know, but they, they, they also added a transfer in Earl Barquette, Barquette um, and, you know, there's a chance that they could end up adding C.J. Williams from modern day on January 8th, Cyrus Moss. 
you know, both both those guys are elite four-star guys playing in the All-American Bowl games for a reason because they are really good. So, you know, and, and in fact, if, if you just take those last two guys that I mentioned alone, those are two guys that USC had zero shot at getting before Lincoln Riley was hired. And so, you know, his impact was, was immediate in – I mean, I can even go all the way back to when Clay Helton was fired. There were guys that started reconsidering USC all the way back then, but they were waiting to see who USC hired to make sure, okay, yes, we are confident that the football program is going in the right direction. Zion Branch was one of those guys. God, he wanted to go to USC. He just kept hoping. And every time I was with Zion Branch, he was just like hoping something really good was going to happen at USC. Even Fabian Ross, who you know, never wavered. He was just kind of like, you know, Scott, I always felt that it was USC – and you know, at some point, they were going to figure it out and they were going to hire a good coach and the program was going to be in good shape. Um, so, you know, you had guys like Damani Jackson. that He was all set to go to the University of Alabama if USC didn't hire, the, the, you know, a coach like – they didn't have to be a coach like Lincoln Riley. But when USC did hire him and the, putting a the staff together like they are, you know, there is no doubt in kids' minds right now that USC, the football program, they're taking football serious and the football program is likely going in a really, really good direction. So all that long-winded way of saying, I think USC actually had a very, very solid, I won't say great, very, very solid early signing period. All right, well, let's turn to our editor-in-chief and publisher, Eric McKenney. Are you surprised, disappointed? Uh, is, is it what you thought it would be? Your thoughts? Uh, if you're asking me if the group of guys that signed with USC is what I thought it would be in August or in September, no. <laughs> if it's the group of guys that, that I thought maybe Lincoln Riley would be able to go out and get, yeah, I, I don't think there were any sort of major surprises on you know, dur during that early signing period, Wednesday to Friday. And again, like Scott mentioned, a lot of people want to look at at the Wednesday, the signing day, either in December or February, and, and judge it based on what happened there. Uh, you've got to look at kind of everything that USC might be able to do during the early signing period. And, and again, like Scott mentioned, two guys that USC very much in on, uh, not going to announce uh, for, for another couple of weeks. And then Dwight Jackson kind of joining the group on Friday, the last day. I think maybe going into the early signing period for me that there were like six, six guys that I think would have made it kind of a, a perfect run uh, through the early signing period. And, and Damani Jackson's one, Zion Branch's one, uh, Relique Brown is, is on there. Ernest Green, the big offensive lineman from St. John Bosco. Uh, and then you've got um, Cyrus Moss and David Bailey, the, the linebacker from modern day. I, I, that, that was kind of my group of guys where it's like, if they can make a run, through those six, that might be perfection on, on what Lincoln Riley could do. They may end up with four of those guys again, still waiting to, to hear what Cyrus Moss did, but getting Damani, Zion, and, and really that that's big time. So again, I, I'm not going to say that it was the most perfect early signing period because boy, David Bailey and Ernest Green would, would look really good uh, in this class right now. But again, Ernest Green looking at some big time SEC programs to go play offensive line and, and David Bailey going to Stanford uh, kind of kind of put in that education um, up on top for him in, in terms of the list of priorities. Can't really fault those guys. So again, a, a very good showing for USC, a, a chance to kind of put a cap on that. And then uh, a lot of guys that I think give you a lot of positive momentum going into February and then uh, beyond that. 
Well, I'll tell you what, I was personally very satisfied when you consider the alternatives, which you guys have already stated. It could have been a disaster, a train wreck, dumpster fire, but it wasn't. Uh, you know, we're talking about all these players, and the one we're really not talking about is uh, Rolik Brown. I mean, this is a guy that uh, if, if he would be a, a headliner, except some of the others did come in, which is a great sign. Um, you know, a lot of people were disappointed. They were saying, you know, I thought it was going to be this tremendous haul. But really, if you could get two-thirds of the players you're recruiting and they're quality players, you've done a pretty good job when you consider the, the one, the competition that's out there, where USC has been, that they could even within like 18 days of Lincoln Riley being here, crisscrossing the country. Uh, look, you know what? When they get this offensive line situation settled, which we think they have, are doing, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Look, they're going to go after some five-star tackles and maybe some more that uh, will now they'll have a chance to really recruit them and talk to them for a month or a month and a half. And I think it's going to make a big difference. Uh, it's all about momentum. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, when we look at this group, now there's only, uh, you know, that I have one, two, three, four, five, six, around seven that are actually on the release. And since there's so few of them, why don't we just touch on some of them briefly? Uh, punter uh, Atticus uh, uh, Bertrams. Now there's a name that, you know, uh, any national championship team in the future has to have a punter named Atticus Bertrams, right? It sounds like something out of a novel. He's 6'3", 215 out of Sydney, Australia, Newington College. Uh, you know, I've heard some good things about him. You know, I think of all these players, and I'm going to let you guys chime in on, on Atticus a bit. Uh, you know, when you listen to the press conference of Lincoln Riley, he said all the players they signed were players that he would have recruited anyway. Not if they had already. I thought that was a big comment. Uh, some of them, you know, you might sit there and say, well, you know, they made a commitment that they don't want to, uh, you know, renege on it. But I thought it was interesting. Scott, what do you know about Atticus? You know, I, I, I was I was asked for my evaluation, my my very professional evaluation of Atticus on our message board. And this was my response. He's really good. That's all. I mean, I haven't seen a play. I haven't seen a play. I haven't seen that. I, I wouldn't even know what he looks like, to be honest with you, if I, if I was staring across the room from him. But, you know, obviously for USC to put the effort in before Lincoln Riley and after Lincoln Riley to ensure that they ended up taking Atticus, you know, in this recruiting class says a lot to me, but I'll be honest with you. I, I haven't even seen any film or anything of him. So I just assume that he's really, really good. So I'm sorry. I can't offer much of any value on that topic. Well, excuse, excuse the, uh, the pun, but you're going to punt on this one, I guess. <laughs> uh, I yes. know that was bad. That was bad. No booing from ah. the audience, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Eric, what, what, what do you know about Atticus? Do you know anything about him? No, I mean, he's coming out of the, the Pro Kick Australia uh, program, and, and you'll take anyone that comes out of there. I mean, that, that, that group down there has come in and just dominated college football in, in terms of sending punters there and then off to the NFL, too. So if he's getting stamp of approval there, stamp of approval from Lincoln Riley. I mean, you mentioned Lincoln Riley comes in, inherits a USC recruiting class, three of those guys stuck in the class. The, he had no need to keep any of them. If he didn't, like he, that's one of the things he has made very clear upon taking over the USC head coaching job. He is under no preconceptions that he needs to keep anybody involved with USC. Players, staffers, coaches, recruits, any of it. 
he is free to go his own way on everything. The three guys that he ended up keeping, Fabian Ross and, and Devin Tompkins being the other two that, that we'll get to, but uh, that that's kind of everything that I need to know about those guys. When he comes in, evaluates them and says, yeah, these, these three are good to go, good to stay in the class. Uh, that that's kind of a, a check mark that not a lot of people uh, get in terms of recruits when a coach like that comes in and inherits a recruiting class. Well, I'll, I'll just say this, uh, since you have touched upon it, he does come from a big time kicking program in uh, Australia. Well known, perhaps not to our listeners or viewers, uh, a supplier really of college uh, football players in, in the States here. So obviously uh, the fact that he's going to keep them is, is an obviously a good sign. Now let's move on to uh, safety Zion branch. Scott, you think that he's really a five-star. What, what do you, what do you like about Zion branch? Just for our listeners, he's six, one, 200 out of Las Vegas, uh, Bishop Gorman. Talk to about, uh, tell us about Zion. I think with, with Zion, you know, you can start first off with the eyeball test. Uh, you know, he passes that with flying high, high marks. So, you know, he, he is a, a big, physical, tough dude who's extremely athletic. And, and so you have a guy, you know, I've had the opportunity to see him in multiple settings. And I, I'm sure Eric has seen him in seven on seven as well. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy who's got exceptional cover skills. He is, but he's also a guy that, that does not mind tackling. And I'll tell you what, sometimes you watch these guys play seven on seven. And you watch their cover skills, and you're like, "Damn, you know that guy's like, yeah, I'm definitely a five-star guy." But then you go watch him play in pads, and he's, you know, he's really not. He has a hard time shedding blockers. He, a guy that's not really seeking that physical contact, and and you know, kind of stands back and, and wait for others to tackle. Um, but the, the thing with, with Zion, I think, as far as if we're going to talk about ranking, I just don't think that many people saw Zion play this past season. I went to three of his games and I, and I was really one of the only guys there that would have been looking at watching that game from the perspective of trying to evaluate an individual player. You know, most of the people at these high school football games are there to cover the game. And so, you know, I didn't see anybody there from 247. I didn't see anybody there from rivals. And, and there certainly wasn't anybody from on three except me. And so um, I, I, I just, and, and being able to, to focus in on Zion and, and really kind of, watch just him for moments that I was able to do with the three games I went to. And I've seen him play, I've seen him play two games last year as well. So this, I, I just see a guy who's making NFL like plays, uh, you know, guy, uh, somebody who can change directions, somebody who has that insane athletic ability um, and, and just some of the tackles he is making most high school players can't, cannot make those. And, and if they can, they don't make it look as easy as Zion does. So I think USC is adding, you know, we all know that he's a highly ranked player. He's in the All-American game in, in Orlando on, on January 2nd. So, yeah, you know, he's got the rankings, he's got the accolades. He had Alabama, he had Clemson after him, Ohio State, USC, all those schools. But I still think, and Eric agrees with me, we talked about this before we started taping, that we still think he's underrated. I think he's, I think he's a top 25 player. So that okay. puts you in five-star category. All right, so let's transition. That's a good transition to Eric. Eric, um... Your thoughts on Zion. And let me ask you this question. For those that have followed the recruiting, we know that Bubba Bolden was from uh, Bishop Gorman. Uh, how would you compare the two for people that saw Bubba Bolden uh, but didn't really get a chance to see Zion Branch? 
Uh, I think they have some similarities and, and the guy I was going to go with before you, before you threw Bubba in there, you know, for USC fans, Talanoa Hufanga, just one of those, the, all three of those guys were safeties that you watched. And it just, the thing that stands out is that they make plays every single time they're around the ball, they're hitting their physical, they, they just do everything you want to do to at the end of the day, you say, that's a football player. That's a guy I want to watch. That's a guy who's going to make plays. I know, you know, going to a Zion branch game, if you're filming, you know, ISO highlights of him, you're going to come away fine. You don't, you don't need to go see three or four games in one game. You're going to get the highlights that you need from him. He's a guy who, uh, you know, like Scott said, he, he's around the ball. He's instinctual. He's at, unbelievably athletic. Uh, he's a guy who USC signed a, a bunch of young safeties in that 2021 class. He's going to fit right in with, with those yeah. guys right there. A year behind, but he's going to go in and, and he's going to be right in that mix. Uh, I think he's 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 really fun to watch. But Bubba was the same way, Talanoa, uh, same way. And you know, I th- I want to add this too because I think it's actually it's it's significant. Um, <clears throat> I, I've gotten to know the family, the branches quite well. So I've gotten to know the, the father Shaba and their mother, and and, and Zachariah, who will be announcing his commitment um, to USC, Ohio State, and God knows who else, Alabama, and all those schools on Friday, uh, Christmas Eve. This is the kind of player when you listen to Lincoln Riley talk at his press conference. Not just the type of player. This is a type of person. That, you, that USC, it's vital they bring in guys like this. So this is a guy who also is going to come in, and he is going to be the ultimate team player. It's not going to be all about him. It's not going to be all about him showing up at practices, making sure that there's photo opportunities and stuff like that. This is a guy who's very, very serious about his career and, and playing football. And, you know, but he's also very serious about the academic part of USC. So I just wanted to add that because I think that that's very significant. And, you know, I'd like to uh, uh, expound upon that a little bit. Scott did a wonderful interview with uh, with the Branch brothers and uh, Fabian Ross uh, upon their signing day. And the thing I took away from the interview was just how smart, how alert the character button was definitely being pushed, that this is the type of character that Bishop Gorman players are going to bring to USC. On that note, I think the fact of the matter is, is if Moss uh, signs with USC uh, out of Bishop Gorman and, and Williams out of modern day signs with USC, you're talking about six guys in a smaller recruiting class who are coming from state championship teams or a national championship. This is the culture that is really hard to turn unless you get players in quantity, which they're doing. Uh, that have won at the big-time level. That's going to be their expectations. They've been trained, their discipline programs. And, uh, you know, that kind of takes us uh, to Relique Brown, uh, who's a running back. We've, you've heard about him. He's 5'8", 185, Santa Ana, California, modern-day high school. Uh, you know, there's been some conjecture whether he's a four-star or he's a five-star. I can tell you this, he's really good. Uh, and I see you know, a lot of people say, well, d- can he run between the tackles? And I watched him run between the tackles. And if he's really a 185, let me tell you something. By the time he's a sophomore or a junior, that, that, that dude's going to be 200 pounds, and he's going to be a little fire plug. But he, he has lateral quickness is unbelievable. He's like a grasshopper. You know, I just watch him, you know, run laterally, and uh, he's a special player. He really is. Uh, Eric, how special is he in your eyes? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's always silly to throw out, you know, Hall of Fame comparisons for high school guys. But if you watch him play, you know, people will throw out Reggie Bush's name. People will throw out Barry Sanders' names. And, and again, you know what you're doing when you say those names. You're not saying this guy has accomplished everything those, those guys have accomplished. But it's kind of the, the way he plays. His stop-start, like you mentioned, is, is just unbelievable. May, you know, maybe the best in, in this class in terms of getting going, getting to, getting to top here. Uh, his ability as a wide receiver is unbelievable. We expect him to, to play quite a bit of slot receiver and, and do that kind of thing, be kind of, you know, not a, not a gad, not a gadget player in terms of, you know, only a, a few snaps uh, a game, but a gadget player in terms of boy, sky's the limit on where you, what you can do with him. You don't just have to stick him in the backfield, hand it off to him 20 times a game. You can get him the ball in space. And that's what he said that that's why he loves Lincoln Riley and, and the Lincoln Riley offense. He's coming to USC to get the ball in space. Uh, and, and that's where he, really excels um i don't think i don't think there's anyone in this class that i'm more excited about kind of how he fits into what lincoln riley is going to do at usc uh than than really brown uh scott what excites you about uh really brown you know he this is this is a kid who uh, you know i first saw when when uh at the it was i always want to say the rising stars camp but it was the seven on seven camp that usc puts on every june and and it was this was this was right after his eighth grade year ray leak made it to usc and you know a couple of guys that i know who are coaches and mentors of his told me scott this is a guy you definitely have to look out for <laughs> you know i'm like i don't know do i really have to look out for an eighth grader but anyway <laughs> um so but you know but the thing but the, the irony was with me being a smart ass about it in my mind is that yeah he wasn't actually a guy that i need to pay attention to that day because he was probably the most electrifying player on that on that property at usc that day we're talking there were some big time football players over there and again you know i, I you know he was just going into ninth grade so you know you watch ray leak ray leak can go run routes with the best slot receivers like an Amon Ra type route runner you know just a guy like oh damn you know you, you sit back and you go you know that's kind of filthy the way that he can make guys miss him and 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 you know be so elusive but you know being elusive and, and running great routes is is one thing but I mean this guy catches every football also thrown his way so you know he's he's just a complete package and, he, and you can play him at running back and, and have him do anything from that position as well so you know, you, and you've got a guy who wants to win too, you know, again, the modern day factor, you know, playing for national championships, or, which it sounds crazy to say that about high school football program, but that's kind of what modern day does now, you know, state championships aren't enough. Um, so what I like about him is I just love how electrifying he is and how this is a guy who can make a big play on any given down from several different spots on the football field. So, you know, going back to the, 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 don't want to mention hall of fames and then you know put a lot of pressure on a kid but you know this happened maybe in march or april at a modern day football practice and and, and i i'm there often so i walk in and, and bruce rollinson comes up and he says have you seen Murray lee brown i was like ah, yeah for about three years now he goes man this guy's another reggie bush so it wasn't us that you know this was this was the head football coach at modern day that was saying that right this is like some johnny analysts like us like me i won't put you guys in that same category but you know this is this is something that 
this is feedback that comes from a guy who's coached a lot of really good football players. So anyway, that's it. Again, we sometimes I get a little long winded on this stuff because there's usually a little story to tell. But, you know, this is just a complete offensive threat. Well, I know uh, two things. One, that was a well done uh, impression of Bruce Rawlinson. Very <laughs> well we may have to incorporate that into a special uh, uh, spot of you taking the Bruce Rawlinson questions as as an impersonator. Well done. That there you go. You're leaving us already. No. <laughs> um, I, I'll just say this about Brown. I don't think he's quite yet at the Reggie Bush level for me. But I will tell you something, when he runs a fly sweep, you better make sure that you, you've covered all your lanes because he's going to knife through there and one cut and he's gone. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he may be Reggie Bush. I, I will guarantee you that even if he even if he's in the conversation, that's a heck of a comment. Yeah. A I mean, compliment for him. Um, let's move on here to Damani Jackson, uh, cornerback, 6'1", 190 out of modern day. I think we could all agree that uh, he was really the key. The California's best player last year was Corey Foreman. Uh, you know, Damani Jackson, of course, had his, had his season cut very short because of a knee injury. Uh, he's going to come in in the spring. Uh, how much he's going to actually be able to participate, I don't know. What I do know is he'll be quite a recruiter for USC. Uh, when he's uh, speaking with recruits. And I do know this, uh, he's the type of person that all the juniors and sophomores know all about in high school. And if Damani's going to USC, uh, that's a really good sign. Is, is that a really good sign, Scott? Is that a fair assessment? I mean, absolutely. <laughs> we've been watching this kind of stuff happen since we've been doing this for me, 20 years. You know, you start adding the top players from the top programs and, you know, they're, their buddies, their teammates start following them, you know, and, and it's not just their teammates. Then, you, then you're talking about a guy like Damani, as you said, this is a guy that everybody in the country knows who he is. So, you know, you bring in a guy like him and, and if you, we just want to stick, you know, I could talk forever about, you know, Damani 10 to five speed state champion in the 100 meters and, you know, cover skills and, you know, a guy who's, who's going to add speed to the defensive backfield, which we all, no USC needs as much as anything with as often as we saw, you know, average speed run backers get, get wide on USC. So, you know, it, he's, he's going to add a lot of, he's going to, he's going to fill a lot of, of weaknesses at one of the cornerback positions. You know, we don't know if it's going to happen right away, but somebody with his speed, his makeup speed, he's, I've never seen him get beat, get beat deep. Even when he does get fooled, his makeup speed is off the charts. He, I mean, he gets into full speed immediately. So, you know, it's it's hard to get past Damani. I, I think that Damani will have some improving on his cover skills to do um, when he gets to USC. But all all guys have that going on when they when they get to college, making that transition. So, yes, I think there are a lot of guys that that are looking at several guys that USC is bringing in. You start getting guys like Corey Foreman, Rajon, Damani. Um, Zion Branch, Ray Leak, and you start adding these these elite Southern California dudes. Then you have guys like you know Zachariah Branch, Zion's brother, of course. But you have Roderick Pleasant from Sarah High School. You know you have him now looking at this going on. You have the guys at St. John Bosco like R.J. Jones and a, and a Deshaun uh, Frausto Ramos, and and you know there's, there's there's other guys that we could go on, but that's not what we're, the topic we're on right now. But yes, I think the impact 
that uh, Damani Jackson being at USC on recruiting will will be very very significant. Uh, Eric, when you see uh, uh, Damani uh, play, and you saw him last year, uh, what comes to your mind when you watch him? He's an athlete that USC has not gotten the last few years. Scott mentioned it. This kid can absolutely fly. The team speed at USC on both sides of the ball uh, has been has been lacking uh, the last few years. That they are not. I don't know if they're the fastest team in the Pac-12 South um, right, right now, and it's certainly not in the conference and nationally. It's it's not close, and that's something that absolutely jumps off the page. Demi Jackson is can fly. He is an unbelievable athlete. I don't think he's an, an elite technician when it comes to playing corner yet. Um, he could certainly he could certainly get there. Uh, but that's what stands out is just that when he, he's a guy where when you go and watch the game on one any play that he's on the field, you gravitate towards him and, and you want to watch him the rest of the game. And, and that's in that's been in a typically loaded defense uh for for modern day so again those are the guys that usc needs usc has not gotten a ton of guys in the last handful of years uh that have elite elite traits uh when it when it comes to just physical traits and and so damani damani has that damani Damani has big time like nfl projectables uh when it comes to just the way he can run the way he can turn and, and the way he moves on the field well i think he's a he's not a finished product I think he's a great athlete. I think he's proven that. He's a numbers guy. In other words, what's he running the 40? How fast is he? Uh, and I think he does. Uh, and I think he'd be willing to admit, uh, you know, he'll get better in his coverage skills. And certainly his upside is really, has a chance to be somebody really special. What I really like about him is his leadership skills. I, I just cannot say, uh, if you're going to change culture, you definitely want this guy uh, to be, you know, carrying the USC flag out of the Coliseum Tunnel. Here's a guy that nobody really knows much about, and I was really interested in watching film on him because I'm kind of a film freak. Uh, is Garrison Madden, the, the linebacker, a 6'2", 200 from Hampton, Georgia, out of Dutchtown High School? Uh, not a lot was known. Uh, what I do know is that uh, Lincoln Riley liked him, and, uh, you know, he said I would have recruited him anyway. Uh, and the film I watched of him, He's got a, you talk about an upside. This guy's going to go 225, probably 230 by the time he's a junior. Won't lose much of that speed. And my question is, is how did he sneak out of Georgia uh, uh, and not get caught up in the Southeast Conference vacuum cleaner? Uh, Scott, do you have an answer to that? Uh, you know, it's, I, Eric, I think, had more of a conversation about him and maybe learned a little bit more about you know, his background and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm kind of using what Eric's had to say, my brief conversation with him after he took his official visit to USC and then other guys that have, have seen a lot of film on him. And, you know, he's, he's a relatively young football player as far as his experience and, and whatnot. And Eric will probably be able to elaborate more on that. But, you know, I, I think what you have, what you're getting from Garrison Madden, is another element that, that has been missing at USC, and that's the speed aspect of it. And, you know, this is a really, really fast linebacker. Physically, you already pointed that out. 
this kid, you know, this, God knows where he's going to be in a couple of years down the road physically after being in a strength and conditioning probe at USC. And it's not like he's small and he's skinny now. You know, he's you look at him and he's got that frame and you're looking, you can see where you'd be able to put on weight and not have it impact his speed that much. But, you know, as far as, you know, a lot of knowing a lot about Garrison, that's one thing I don't know a lot about him. But I can tell you this. This is another I only spent a half an hour with him. But this is another kid who is really impressive character wise. And that's important. Uh, uh Kind of take us a little further there, if you could, Eric, on, on this guy. What did you think when you saw him? I thought his closing speed was just tremendous um, when I watched him on game film. What, what was your thoughts? Yeah, that, I mean, that's what's going to pop out. He didn't play football his freshman or sophomore year. So, again, when you're talking about how, how the SEC miss on him, that they're, there's linebackers down there. <laughs> they've got a lot of guys to pick from that play football all four years, and, and they've got film on the Oklahoma coaches – they had him on their radar, their linebacker. What he had said was that their linebacker class was full. But what stands out to me is that Lincoln Riley and that staff, they could have gone after, they, they could have filled up, they could have signed 20 guys in the early signing period. They went out and got a commitment from one guy. I mean, obviously, Damani gets added and Zion and those guys. Those guys were on the, US, the USC radar, and, and those guys were on everybody's radar. They, the, this staff went out to find and sign one guy, and that was Garrison Madden in, in the early period. And, and that says kind of everything that I, that I need to know about him and, and the way this staff feels about him because they easily could have, you know, stand pat, keep the guys at home, sign the, those local guys. But uh, to go out and get him and add him to a class where they are being very careful with who they bring in right now because they know that they can't miss, they have to. They're, they're talking about turning around so many spots on this roster. You can't miss on six, seven, eight guys in this kind of first turnaround here. Uh, so, so this was an important spot. And to go out and get him, again, kind of tells me, tells me everything I need to know about how the coaches feel about him. And, and this is a staff uh, that knows how to evaluate. All right, let's go back to uh, Las Vegas, Bishop Gorman. I think this is a player that is a good player, but seems a little bit, I think, uh, not getting as much publicity as he should, and that would be Fabian Ross, uh, six feet, one eighty-five, as we said, out of Bishop Gorman. Uh, Eric, uh, your thoughts on uh, the Fabian Ross uh, acquisition here? Uh, he's tough. He's he's a super solid corner. He's you know he's not Damani Jackson in terms of that that elite athleticism, but he's a guy where uh, if he can get to his ceiling. That's, that's a really good corner. Uh, that, that's a guy that you can win with when he's on the field for you. So again, I, it's, it's not a position where um, that transition is always easy for a lot of guys playing high school corner and, and then needs to do it in college, especially with a lot of the offenses that these guys are facing. Uh, he gives you a guy where, where you're pretty comfortable. He's going to understand what you want him to do defensively. Uh, and, and he's going to be able to give you enough physically uh, to where you, again, you feel pretty comfortable about bringing him in and, and his projection uh, for how he fits this defense. What do you know about him, Scott? You've, you've seen him play a, a, a number of times. What yeah. do you, you know, I, I think which when USC was recruiting Dante Williams, we should say specifically <clears throat> recruiting what, what his thoughts were for, for Fabian coming into USC was, was he was in his eyes, the perfect nickel. So I, I think that's kind of what Dante was looking at him for, um, the nickelback. But 
you know, if, if you want to go, and again, I did watch him play a lot. And, you know, did I see him make a lot of plays? I, I don't think I did, but I again, I never saw the ball thrown his way in three games, not once, you know, so that stands out to me as much as guys making plays sometimes. So he was, he was doing his job. And again, Bishop Gorman doesn't play against a bunch of slouches all year. You know, there are some teams in Vegas that they play that aren't going to be all that strong, but you know, they, they, during the off season, the preseason, I should say, they do face a lot of really, really strong uh, football programs. Uh, but, but what I love about, about Fabian is that every time I went to Bishop Gorman, you know, he doesn't want to, he didn't want to talk. He committed on January 4th. Was it? I don't remember the exact date, but we're talking about a guy that committed almost a year ago and he didn't want to talk recruiting. He, you know, he almost looked surprised and wondered why he wanted to ask him if he was still solid with his commitment all the way back before Lincoln Riley was hired, you know, a few weeks before I was at Bishop Gorman. This is just a, this is just like one of those kids you just can't help but root for. Um, so you're bringing in a talented football player and you're bringing in that element that we're probably going to talk about more and more now through the second signing period. And we'll probably be talking about that with the personalities of the guys, the transfers they bring in too. This is just a great fit for USC. Um, and, you know, no drama, all business, never going to be a problem. And he's a really good football player on top of that. So I, I just, I am really high on, on Fabian Ross. Uh, Scotty, we're going to stay with you uh, and, and, and clean this up at the end here with, uh, Devon Tompkins, uh, he's an edge rusher, 6'5", 230 out of uh, Stockton, California, Edison High School. Uh, you know, he's another young player, so to speak. Give us a little background on him. Yeah, you know, he, again, an exceptional athlete, you know, and, and hasn't really football hat was not his primary sport. So you have a guy who's really good at basketball. You have a, a guy who's turned out to be really good at football as well. But just the athleticism that he has in that 6'6", 220-pound frame, I think is about what he is right now, 220, 225. I forget what it is. But um, the, the thinking when, when USC targeted him, you know, a few months back, maybe three months back, was, was that, you know, and, and we we've been talking about this a little bit, that, that USC was small and they were slow. So a, a guy like, you know, Tompkins adds somebody who has good speed, athleticism, and will add size to your defensive line. So here's a guy, another guy that's going to be defensive and not really sure if he'd be an outside linebacker or where he will ultimately fit in. I'm not really all that familiar with Alex Grinch's defense, but you know, you're, you're bringing in a kid who wanted to go to USC and you're bringing in a guy who USC really wanted. Eric touched on the fact that, you know, this is a guy, one of the very, very select few that Lincoln Riley wanted to bring in. You know, there's also the element, there's a lot of tie-ins also with, with Tompkins and, and Ray Lee Brown's people and maybe some, uh, some other people that might be coming up the pipeline as well. So I just think, again, you know, this is a guy who we don't know that much about, including me. You know, I haven't seen him play in person. I haven't seen him play seven on seven. I haven't even seen him play basketball. But, you know, it's, it's a guy who adds a lot of, of aspects to, to the USC defensive line that is much needed. Eric, can you uh, add some uh, further insight into, uh, into Tompkins here? Uh, you know, he's a, like Scott mentioned, he played basketball for years and years and years. And it took about, I, I don't know, a week or two of him on the, on the football practice field for offers to start coming in, yeah. you know, that, that makes the same and pac 12 offers. It, it's not, you know, tiny school offers. So again, that that's kind of the athlete that he is and, and the presence he has 
when he walks on the football field. And, and what I like about him is that he sure feels like he's ascending at this point as he's coming to USC. I, I think USC has gotten a lot in a lot of trouble over the years in loading up maybe on some guys where they hit their peak maybe as, as juniors in high school and they're big time recruits because you knew about them as freshmen, you knew about them as sophomores, but they weren't, they weren't, uh, I guess, maybe physically at a point where they could get demonstrably better over the next three years or, or four years. You, you kind of knew what you were getting and, and that's what they were in college. You see so many guys in the NFL, edge rushers especially, come from smaller schools because they end up developing later in, in college and, and even beyond that. Uh, he seems like maybe that's a guy and, and you can't go out and get every two-star, three-star edge guy and say, oh, he's going to develop into a big-time guy. You're, you're still rolling the dice a little bit, but yeah, you, you, you like what he brings kind of physically and, and mentally uh, to that position. And, and like Scott said, you, you need to get bigger, faster on, on the line and, and bringing him in uh, at that edge position it's he's intriguing. He's he's one of the, one of the more intriguing guys I think that USC is going to bring in, in in this entire offseason. And we'll we'll wrap it up by saying here's a side note. Let's remember that Drake London was a two sports star when he came into SC. And there's there is a track record of guys that play both sports. Uh, basketball contributes a lot to a football player if that guy's going to still concentrate on football when he goes to college. So that's that's a good sign, a good upside. So long segment, I think, and I hope that you all learned a lot about it. So we're going to go quickly. The second quarter, uh, you know, a major part of all these players is uh, who's recruiting them. And of course, SC is in the, the midst of finishing up their uh, coaching hires. Uh, Lincoln Riley putting the finishing touches on his staff. So before we go into just kind of an overall view of the staff, let's go over what we think we know. Uh, obviously, the offensive coordinator on the offensive end and the quarterback coach will be Lincoln Riley. Uh, it appears that his offensive line coach and co-offensive uh, coordinator will be Josh Henson. He's coming over from Texas A&M. Inside receivers coach uh, Dave Nickel from Mississippi State. Outside receivers coach Dennis Simmons, uh, kind of a teammate of Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma. Tight end coach Zach Hansen from Tulsa. He can also do special teams. And what we don't know is the running back situation that Lincoln Riley thought he had one into shard choice. Uh, but obviously that didn't last very long. As we mentioned at the top of the show, he went with the Texas Longhorns defensively. Uh, we know the defensive coordinator is Alex Grinch. He's uh, again from Oklahoma. Alex also has done safeties everywhere. He's gone, whether he's going to do the safeties again remains to be seen. Defensive line coach appears to be Jamar Kane from uh, Oklahoma. Outside linebacker coach appears to be Roy Manning. Uh, at least that's the word we're getting. Uh, inside linebacker coach is uh, Brian Odom from Oklahoma. And we'll just say that uh, in the secondary somewhere, someplace, is probably going to be Dante Williams, uh, of course, who knows much about what uh, this team is all about. So, guys, not to go, go through each one of these players, uh, these coaches, what is your overall general thought on the staff up to here and and what, what stands out to you, Scott? Well, I, you know, I think that uh, what, what stands out to me was was that Lincoln Riley brought – I mean, it stands out to me is that these guys followed Lincoln Riley to USC. 
um, and a lot of a lot of these coaches that we're mentioning right now. Uh, and, and to me, that says a lot about Lincoln Riley because you had Brian Kelly move on from Notre Dame to LSU, and it didn't appear anybody wanted to follow him to Baton Rouge. So, you know, but just some of the stuff that I've heard, and, and we should keep this probably brief because I'm not going to have a, much more than a lot of hot wind to offer on this topic. But, you know, I think Jamar Kane is known as one of the top recruiters in the country. It doesn't matter what position he's doing. So, you know, you, 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 with Dante at, at secondaries coach, and you have Jamar Kane as defensive line coach and you know, so you have two of the strongest recruiters in the nation, and Lincoln Riley is probably, you know, right there with Mario Cristobal as far as the impact they make recruiting as a head coach. So, um, you know, the, the, the coaches that they're bringing in to me, I don't know a whole lot about them, but I'm just looking at these guys, and, and they were able to put together something pretty, pretty good at Oklahoma. Um, I think some guy, at times the fans at Oklahoma are like, well, uh, you know, we lost two games every year and this and that. I think the difference between Oklahoma, which is definitely – one of the elite football programs in the country since forever. But that said, you will be able to bring in as a football program players to Los Angeles and USC that you are not going to be able to get in Norman, Oklahoma. So I think that part of what's going on, if you want to take what they did at Oklahoma, that's great. You know, they didn't play great defense, whatever that, you know, whatever the fans want to talk about. I'm just looking at this staff was able to do something pretty damn impressive um, at Oklahoma. I don't think they ever lost more than two football games. I think they've, you know, I don't know how many times they've been in the college football playoffs. I'm, I'm, I lose track of all that kind of stuff, but I do think that, that they put together and, and if they are able to land DeMarco Murray as the running backs coach, you start to add another guy who's going to be a big time recruiter for the Trojans. So I think from that aspect, I think they did really, really well. All right, Eric, your, your overall assessment, what sticks out to you about this group that we've uh, mentioned? Yeah, the continuity coming over from Oklahoma. Um, I don't think I, – I always have a hard time when a coach wants to bring over every single coach when, when he moves jobs because I just feel like you haven't put together the greatest staff of all time. There's somewhere where you can get better. But I do understand in a situation where you think you could be good right away, you don't want to have to coach 10 different coaches – on how to coach the players. I mean, that, that seems like it just delays, you know, every, everything that you want to do. So the fact that he was able to bring over some Oklahoma coaches and then a lot of the other guys coming in, there's some familiarity with that stands out. I'm glad that Scott mentioned uh, Jamar Kane because I wanted to talk about both line coaches. Again, we, we talked about Josh Henson and Jamar Kane. Uh, boy, that's right up there with maybe as good as it gets uh, in, in terms of who he could go out and get when you talk about the combination of success that they've had their players attain on the field and also success on the recruiting trail. Those, those are the two important spots. I mean, what, you know, Lincoln Riley offensively can get it done defensively. He brought over Alex Grinch and, and he's going to kind of turn everything over to him. You've got to be good up front on both sides and, and USC hasn't consistently been good up front uh, on either side for, for, the last, you know, five, six, seven years, however long you want to go back for. So again, those are the two guys that stand out to me uh, as being big time recruiters and, and really good coaches. And I think, again, still waiting to hear kind of official word on, yeah, everything's buttoned up and, and here's the guys and, and let's go. Uh, but boy, th those are a couple of good ones uh, on the defensive line and offensive line for USC. Well, I'll tell you, I, each one of these guys is 
is a go-getter. Each one of these, there's not going to be those days when you had guys on the staff of Clay Helton who's, who I just don't recruit. This, this is a really organized, high-powered, you know, most of these guys were adults when uh, Pete Carroll was at SC. They watched it on TV. You know, even coaches need to be uh, challenged. They need to be motivated. And to think I'm coming to L.A. knowing what SC has been, and I remember them to be under Pete Carroll, is an enormous advantage to get excited about. The idea that they don't have to fly out of Norman or College Station, Texas. And the other thing I like about the staff is, you know, for the most part, uh, you've got Texas covered now, obviously. Uh, the thing I liked about Hanson is he had a great recruiting class for offensive linemen. In fact, some of them were doing Twitter uh, feeds with a little tear out their eye, uh, finding out that the coach, they just... And uh, I think with uh, Hanson and with Kane, I'm keeping an eye on both of these guys, that if they live up to what they have in the past, there's no reason to believe they won't be doing that. Uh, I'm looking at all those unsigned players, uh, offensive tackles specifically, uh, one out of Texas and one out of uh, Rainier Beach up in, uh, in the state of Washington. I really think I'm just, uh, you know, seeing it through my heart. I think SC's got a great shot to, uh, uh, to bring those guys and sign them. And boy, wouldn't that be great, a bookend uh, tackles? That, that would, to me, would be sensational. But we'll keep an eye on this for you. And uh, I think the best is yet to come. So it's going to be exciting. And what makes it exciting is we move on to halftime. And very briefly, because I think that's all we can actually speak on, is the February signing period is not that far away, but there is enough gap that SC can make up some ground on uh, offensive and defensive linemen. Uh, Scott, your thoughts uh, briefly about uh, heading towards February. What, what do you see now with uh, where we are and where we're going to be going? Yeah, we'll leave the speculation out. Obviously, we don't have time to, to do that. But, you know, I, I think that Joshua Connerly from Rainier Beach, Washington, uh, Devon Campbell from Arlington Bowie High School in Texas. Um, I, Campbell left USC out of his, his latest top two. Um, and but you know, so Texas and Oklahoma are, are his final two as of now. But I'm also told that there's, there's no chance he's going to end up going to Oklahoma from our Oklahoma people. So, you know, he's kind of down to Texas. But USC, I don't know. If USC, if, if Henson comes in from Texas A&M, I think that was the, the element that was missing on why Campbell chose not to take his second official visit to USC. With him choosing not to sign the first signing period, there's, there's ample time for them to bring him in for that visit. So I think I'm just going to focus on those two guys right now. There will be more. But we'll have another podcast and we'll, we'll another show. I mean, and we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. Eric, your thoughts? Those two guys. That I mean, if all they finish with in terms of 2022 high school recruits in February are those two, that that's an amazing class. Again, you're you're still kind of waiting on on word from Cyrus Moss and, and CJ Williams and USC very much in it with them. So if you, if you want to say all you know lump all four of those guys together, uh, that. That's a clean sweep. And then you're talking about adding a, a bunch of guys out of the transfer portal. But yeah, if, if all they do is, is sign those two guys, and I say all they do, two five-star offensive linemen, sure. Um, that's still a tall task. But uh, th those are the guys that, that I'd be looking at for February. And, and that would be a, a huge statement. Couldn't agree more. I think it really gets down to these offensive linemen out of state. And uh, it's going to be intriguing to find out where they're going. So 
we kind of turn the corner here on the third quarter. This roster purging, I don't know whether you call it a purging overhaul, but when Lincoln Riley says every position is open, it is a, we're open for business. In other words, uh, he has said that up to 35 players uh, may not be on the, on the roster come uh, when they finalize things starting in training camp and maybe more. Um, I would assume when you say your roster is open, that would also include the quarterback position is, you know, with the, uh, uh, who knows with Jackson Dart and Miller Moss. Uh, but uh, what, what do you think about this purging, Scott? Uh, is that a proper word? Is it overhauling? Is it just getting rid of bad apples? What is it? Yes. <laughs> it's all of the above. But overhauling is a more appetizing word. So that's the word I will choose to use. Um, purging, I don't know. You know, there's all kinds of crazy thoughts that goes into your head when you talk about purging. But the overhauling of the roster, you know, we've been talking about this, I think, on, on We Are SC, that they were going to have as many as uh, up to 40, you know, guys that were going to be roster changes, whatever, however we want to put it. Um, so Lincoln just kind of confirmed that, you know, this was stuff that, that families were being told quite some time ago that, you know, the kids are going to have an option to stay on scholarship, but not on football scholarship. So just to... to Make sure that the USC fans are aware of, oh, but we promised them a four-year scholarship. Well, yes, they do. And they were going to honor that, but just not as football players. Um, so, you know, I think it's absolutely, it had to happen. And, you know, there were a few guys that had sent me text messages after USC announced they were going to reschedule the Cal game um, for that. And, and, of course, you know, us looking at it, we're like, oh, God, why the hell are you? really go up to Cal and play at the last week of the season and what, whatnot. But there were players that were like were really, really angry that USC rescheduled that game. My thought was, you guys need to go. So I'm sure there were a lot more guys like that. Dante Williams helped identify quite a few of those. His final week as interim head coach, I think he did USC a great favor in doing that. And I, I think it's going to expedite the process. And, and, and I, I think the, the roster overhaul is what is going to enable USC to get good really fast, bringing in guys from the transfer portal. Well, Eric, how would you best describe what uh, Lincoln Riley is doing with this roster? Players coming, players going. What what what's going on? Yeah, it's an overhaul. I mean, it, I I was it, it was telling that he put a number on it, thirty five and at least thirty five. He didn't need to do that. Uh, he hasn't needed to be as direct as he has been in terms of just saying, basically, guys are out, we're bringing guys in, we think we can be good right away because we can do that. And there are a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, I, do, I don't think he's wrong for doing that. He, was, he came to USC with a vision of being able to compete right away. And, and he has been given kind of carte blanche, however you need to do this, go ahead and do it. Uh, he really owes nothing to the players on the roster when he comes in and, and if he's got a vision for how to do it uh, again, Scott had mentioned, you know, hearing very early on uh, this is going to be something where there is some turnover right away. Uh, and so you feel for a lot of the guys that, that have put a lot of effort into being at USC and, and the good thing now with the transfer portal is you can go play somewhere. It's not as if the career is just over and, and, you can't be at USC, so you can't be anywhere. Uh, but again, it, it's been telling in how direct he's been 
on that, how necessary he sees this. And, and he talks about being able to watch that practice ahead of the Cal game as being kind of invaluable to being able to, to make decisions on guys based on just watching them uh, at a few practices. And, I, and I'm sure watching film of, of games, watching films of prior practices, all of that, hearing from people at USC, all of that went into it. But yeah, it's been, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to say callous, but, but cold and kind of surgical in, in the way that he's, that he's going about it uh, early on. And again, when you're being paid that much money and the expectations are what they are for Lincoln Riley taking over at USC, you can't really soft pedal that sort of stuff. You, you've got to get in and, and get to work and do what you think needs to be done. You know, some would call it ruthless. Uh, but again, it's on your, your terminology, whether it's ruthless, whether it's callous, whether it's, you know, insensitive. The reality is they were rotting. That program was rotting. Okay. And the players that were there, uh, when you got players before the season's thing, uh, I'll be leaving after my, we haven't even started the season yet. And they're saying, I'm already leaving. Uh, you know, you say, how much does that permeate the rest of the team? Uh, I'm all for it. I tell you, players that have bad attitudes, especially on a football team where there's so many numbers, get rid of them all. They're going to kill you at the worst possible time in the game. They're not going to listen during a timeout. They're going to not pay attention to what they're told uh, because they're not dis they're not into it. Uh, you know, I was talking with Kevin Bruce, uh, our esteemed colleague, who was the captain of the '75 team, and he was telling me stories about. The 7014 that won the national title. And Kevin had the, uh, should we say, charisma, the cachet that he literally would tell certain players who many of our listeners and viewers have heard about. And he would say, Get off the field. You're killing us. He would go over and tell defensive people like Marv Goo, Get him out of here. Uh, and you know what? That's what you really want. You would like the team to self police itself. But obviously, this was a case where uh, there was just too many. Too many, I don't know how to put it uh, nicely, too many negative elements uh, in that locker room. You got to clean it all out. And I think uh, personally that I think Riley's doing a great job on, on cleaning up the mess because it was a mess. All right, traditional lighting of the fourth quarter torch. Uh, our, our final uh, segment here before we go to uh, overtime. Uh, guys, now that we've seen everything, we've talked about a lot of things. What did you actually think about the early signing period? Uh, did it do more harm? Was it good? Uh, I'll, I'll start it off here. I, uh, I think that like anything else we have, like text messaging and cell phones, it always starts off with all the good things that it does. But then people start driving while they're texting and end up in traffic accidents, killing. I, I think that uh, it's got to be addressed. I don't know if the answer is to do it before the season because so much happens after the season or during the season to hold a kid accountable. There'd have to be a rule if a coach changes in the middle of the season or gets fired. You know, again, this automatic, you can go take another visit, uh, but it's got to be addressed. What, what do you think, Eric? Should it be addressed? Well, I don't think anyone was killed during it. So we're ahead of your text message analogy already. So I, th I think that's good. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the recruits are educated enough about the whole thing. I, I think a lot of these kids think I have to sign and I have to sign Wednesday. And, I, and they have this sort of artificial timeline in place. 
And I do think coaches probably lean into that a little bit because they'd like guys signed and, and they'd like to have them kind of officially in the class. Uh, when, when you start to realize you don't need to sign, you can enroll. A lot of these guys can just go there early or, or they can wait until February. You know, they, they don't have to do that. I think that has what ca- has caused a lot of this chaos. A lot, a lot of these recruits now, they see that Wednesday in December and that's signing day. And I've got to know by then. And, and there's all this stuff kind of, you know, all this chaos swirling leading up to it. You did see some of them go, oh, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to wait till February. I'm going to see how it goes. And, and I think it worked out pretty well for a lot of those guys. I understand, you know, maybe a, a borderline three-star guy doesn't feel like he has that, uh, you know, ability to do that. Uh so I, I think that's part of it is educating them based on, on what they can do, what's actually necessary, you know, at that point and, and how they can proceed. But I do think that this is kind of a year where we've seen a bit of a tipping point in terms of a lot more people starting to realize, hey, this might not be the best thing for recruits, might not be the best thing for coaches, might not be the best thing for programs and, and the sport as a whole. So, you know, would anticipate very much a lot of discussions is if we change this thing going forward and maybe if this is the last time that we see signing early signing day look exactly uh, like it did this year. Scott, you're on you, you you're in contact with these players, their families, you, you know what's going on here uh, from your perspective. Yeah. Uh, does there need to be a change in the early signing period dates or should they just get rid of it completely? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, and Eric, Eric was talking about how, you know, the texting and driving, you know, the, the something leads to other things that maybe aren't so good when, when you start with what I believe was a really good idea. And I think the early signing period, part of that element was that they were going to now let kids take their official visits in the springtime. Okay. So in years past, when, when guys and their families had to pay for these spring and summer visits, now they can take their official visits during those times. And I think that, you know, the, the ridiculous number of coaching changes this year was one aspect that just made it extra crazy because, you know, one coaching change led to the dominoes just like started falling. You know, it was like Lincoln Riley was like one of the, one of the last dominoes, right? And so, you know, Venables leaving Clemson, there again, a big impact because you have these guys that have spent all year thinking that this is my future home. This is my future family, only to have that family uprooted, you know, a week before signing, signing day. Now, you can make the argument, look, you can always choose to sign in February. There's nobody telling you, and you can, if you're an early enrollee, you don't have to sign at all. You can just enroll and then your scholarship starts right then. So um, I, 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 that said, I think there might be some changes in that the early signing period will be for the kids that are enrolling in January. I, I just, you know, I don't know really how negative the, the early signing period has been. I think that oftentimes what we read from the fans' responses to it all is probably far greater than the kids thinking how negative the early signing period has been. So I'm not even quite sure it's really as big a deal as we're making it out to be. Um, so, you know, if, if there's a change, I don't think there's going to be much of one. All right. Well, I tell you, it'd be something to follow. And, you know, the NCAA does sometimes make some good changes. Uh, I'm sure they'll evaluate this. So 
we moved to overtime. Probably the most interesting question, and probably doesn't uh, you're gonna you know elicit a long response. But Lincoln Riley's been on the job. Some would say three and a half weeks or so, give or take a couple of days. Uh, Scott, what is your overall assessment of the job he's done in the limited amount of time that he's had? Just, and, and I, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, I have my own opinion that really isn't worth a whole lot on, on this, just in my uh, observing what, what Lincoln Riley has done and, and kind of reading about it and just learning about the different things that he has, has been able to accomplish. Um, but, you know, when you, when you hear that, when you hear the feedback from the families and the recruits, uh, you know, his impact. And this isn't him just being hired at USC. This is just the impact of Lincoln Riley in general. You know, it, it actually kind of blows me away that the, it, the, the, this man's impact, 38-year-old head coach, been a head coach for five years, was a coordinator for Bob Stoops before that. So he was barely 30 years old before he became a, a big-time college coach. So he's still a really young guy. But it's the guys on the USC football team that are staying that love what he's bringing. They're going to love his hardcore discipline and the accountability that he's bringing and, and just bringing in the right type of person. And I've always felt, that's why I like to go out. I like to go meet everybody that USC is recruiting. I like to go see them in person, find out who they are, get an idea of their personality, talk to their coaches, talk to their families, talk to their friends, I think that's really, really an overlooked part of recruiting. And, and I, I, I think it certainly was overlooked at USC. And I do not think it will be going forward. And that, and, and that, is, a, that is a far bigger deal than I think people realize. Eric, your thoughts, your assessment, uh, you don't need to put a grade to it, but what do you see that he has done in the last three and a half weeks uh, that causes you enthusiasm, hope, et cetera? What do you think? Yeah, A, bordering on A+, and I, I'm going to give that a grade just because you said I didn't have to. Uh, I, I haven't really seen any major missteps at all. I mean, the staff he's gotten out is, has been great. We heard, you know, rumblings about Bill Beanbaugh coming over with him from Oklahoma, and that, boy, that sounds like an A+. When that doesn't happen, he's got kind of second and third bites at the apple that Clay Helton never seemed to have when he was at USC. And, you, you know, we're not going to compare Clay Elton to Lincoln Riley based on kind of college success at this point, but uh, he can go do that. And he's proven that he can go do that. He's proven he can lock up Damani Jackson. Damani Jackson oh, could have gone to Alabama, a plug and play. If you go to this school in three years, more than likely you will have won at least one national championship and probably going in the first round of the NFL draft. That is a tough thing to say no to. Lincoln Riley was able to go out and, and do that with Damani Jackson and get him to go to USC. I, I just haven't seen a decision yet or an ability to, I guess, bounce back from something that maybe wasn't the, the absolute uh, plan A option. He's been able to, to write, the, write everything that he's come in to do so far. Uh, Scott mentioned the way people have talked about kind of his approach to the program, to building a staff, to building a program, to everything involved. Uh, it's two words, Lincoln Riley, that have USC football back on the map. I mean, that that is a pretty major accomplishment based on where this thing was. 
uh, for him to have done that again in, in a short amount of time. And they haven't played any games yet. You know, we'll have a conversation after the first season on kind of what happened, but, uh, and, and you don't want to put too much stock into winning the off season, but USC needed to, they, they absolutely needed to. And so far that that's what they're doing. Well, a hundred percent agree with you, Eric. He needed to do what he's doing. And you know what, forget about the, how much he gets paid or what have you. He is doing what so many SC fans have been crying for the last three years in every phase, recruiting, discipline, uh, uh, offense, whatever, you name it, he has done it. I don't know of any, and believe me, nobody's more critical of what SC's been doing the last uh, three or four years than me. And I'm not going to say I'm proud of it. I'm actually quite uh, uh, disgraced by it and disgusted that I even had to go there because it's a lot more fun to write about when when the things are going in the right direction. And, and those people that know me, uh, look at, I, I come from a generation that says, tell it like it is. And that's what I'm going to do. But I'll tell you a couple of things and then we'll, we'll adjourn here. One of the things he said in that press conference is he said, and you know, if you didn't know any better, you'd say, okay, he's just piling bull cheese. Uh, he said, I know that kids in this area of the country, they want to go to USC. I know they want to go to SC but they didn't have a reason to go to SC that you just can't be SC and people are going to show up. You know, Larry Smith once kind of went in that direction when he was coaching SC, got him fired, but we're in a different time period. And I tell you, when he said that as someone who's grown up here my whole life and have been watching USC since 1962 and growing up through many people that I know uh, coaching there and recruiting and the players and so on and so forth, it is a basic fact that players on this area of the country want to go to SC because it is the lone school that best reflects the image of an Ohio State or an Alabama, whatever. And SC has more potential than any of those schools. It's almost like you have to be a complete flop to fail as the head coach at USC, but we know that you can. We've seen that. We saw it recently. So my feeling with Lincoln Riley is, He's pushing all the buttons. He's saying all the right things because they are the right things to say. He's doing what everything that should be done. And of course, look at Pete Carroll's first year at USC. He was there six and six and they lost to Utah and the Las Vegas bowl. So we need to, to take that into consideration. And like Eric had mentioned, when the games are played, we'll talk about that. But from what, for what he's done in 18 days, give or take is absolutely remarkable. So, uh, We'll keep a pulse on it. We just want to say that to all of you that are listening and watching, uh, until next Tuesday, we want to thank our panel, Scotty uh, Schrader and uh, Eric McKinney. Uh, we want to wish all of you a very happy holiday. Merry Christmas. And hope you get all the little toys that you want. Of course, I think from an SC fan's perspective, you already got your number one toy. It's called the Lincoln Riley doll. Okay. So on that note, until we talk again next week, fight on everybody. And uh, have a great, great Christmas holiday.